Hi, everyone. This is episode nine of the Brandon Adams podcast. I have with me uh, my favorite poker coach or tied, tied for my favorite poker coach, Max Silver. In the past week, you've been chatting about, I know you're too humble to say, but dramatic success in, in the nutrition and fitness areas. Um, give me a quick summary of the, of the success there. You can do way more pull-ups than I can at this point. Oh, I uh, doubt that. But uh, yeah, so about a year ago now, I mean, I've, I've, I've never been a very fit adult. I've always been uh, like on the overweight side of things. And for years I've had, I've always like wanted to be healthy and fit. And uh, for years I've had these false starts where like, I kind of know I need to do, but then I'd have a bad week, bad month and kind of like, I would lose weight, I would gain weight, it kind of went up and down. And uh, after my first kid, uh, I probably wasn't being quite careful with like food and you obviously you have a lot less time. So you probably tend to eat things that can be faster, which uh, is not good for anyone. Uh, anyway, my, my weight reached about 247 pounds, uh, which was not ideal. Uh, and I wasn't in great shape and decided to really make a change to myself. And one of the ways I did that was by making a very nice EV uh, profit, getting evens to do 20 pull-ups in a row uh, by June this year. I'm currently training for that now, but it's been quite a journey. I'm down about uh, what's that, 55 pounds, I think, from uh, heaviest to now. 55 pounds since when? Uh, that's uh, since uh, February last year, so any year. And obviously, you put on a lot of muscle along the way. Yeah, I've, I've gained some muscle. Um, I was eating at a pretty huge deficit for a long time, and it's actually quite hard to build muscle um, while you're in a big deficit. But I've managed to maintain most of the muscle mass. And actually, uh, people who are, quite, who are quite overweight actually tend to have quite a lot of muscle just because they're just carrying more of, of themselves, you know? So if you are carrying 250 pounds every single day, you're going to have some really big legs, you know? It's just yeah. really hidden under all that fat. So what I've done is I actually managed to maintain almost all of my muscle mass um, during that kind of big cut. And now I'm starting to eat more and try and focus on building muscle. So uh, what do, I imagine that you're tracking everything because you, you're that guy. I know that you, you track things in, in a lot of detail. So explain what you found the key things to, to track are. Yeah, so I think tracking works in two ways in terms of you have this really excellent data, which you can then go back and see what's working, what's not working, because you're tracking your food, your weight every single day, um, your your exercise uh, calories that you burn, uh, what you're doing at the gym, how your kind of progressions are, go are going forward. Um, but then there's also the fact that by tracking everything, it becomes a very big part of your kind of daily routine and becomes very much in the kind of the front of your mind. It was when you're putting in that food that is not so good for you or that is more than you need, you know that like, you had to work an hour and a half in the gym the other day to actually burn off that food. So just having it kind of front and center of your mind uh, really stuff. And also it means that you can't lie to yourself because it's very easy to kind of sit down with a bag of chips or a pint of ice cream and, and before you know it, you've eaten the whole thing and you don't really give that much, much thought. But when you just have to like input that and see 1500 calories, 2000 calories of just pure like nonsense, then it really kind of hits home and uh, makes you very mindful about what you eat and what you do. Are you uh, an alcohol and caffeine guy? 
Uh, caffeine, yes. Alcohol, not really. I've never really been much of a drinker. So that was, uh, I mean, <laughs> I drank socially, but that was also a thing that I kind of mostly just cut out. Uh, other than a few special occasions, and that's been great because alcohol is really just like empty calories. But for me, it was more about as well, like when I drank, I would often, you know, eat late, eat bad afterwards. Yeah, it's a lot of calories. And I find that if I'm trying to cut weight, uh, it becomes very important to maximize the nutrient to calorie ratio, just because if I'm not doing well in that regard, then I just get insatiably hungry. Yeah, it's it's very easy to eat these kind of like quote unquote empty calories, and they really don't do a lot for you in terms of number one, they tend to not be very filling, which is one of the things, and uh, they just don't really offer any kind of vitamins or nutrients. So for me, I find it's super helpful if I can cut out the uh, wine and that in turn requires cutting out stress to a limited extent and also cutting out uh, caffeine because roughly speaking, there's a, a positive relationship between caffeine and alcohol. Um, <clears throat> But I've always found for myself that um, tracking, which I'm doing, I'll do probably 10 to 20% of the time is the only time that I cut weight. So uh, I just don't care enough <laughs> to minimize, to run a deficit unless I'm consciously trying to cut weight and, uh, and uh, track, track the calories during that time. So, I mean, yeah, it, it helps as well. I had a separate bet as well for uh, for fat loss as well. So I went from uh, 36.5% down to currently like around 16% body fat as well in that time. That's huge. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, most people um, my age, which I'm 41, so um, you can get into a cycle where you actually maintain the same weight, but you, you lose body composition. You just gain, gain body fat. <clears throat> what tends to happen is just, just like, as you say, very few people can, um, <clears throat> can lose weight and maintain muscle in the way that you have. Um, it tends to be the case that like men in their forties, they'll use the scale as a guide and try to stay at roughly the same weight, but they alternate between periods of excess, whether it's a week in Vegas or a week on a cruise ship or whatever, where they're gaining mostly fat and then uh, a cut down phase where they're probably losing half fat and half muscle or even more muscle than that. And they, and they, gain weight and lose weight alternating like that, but they're, they're gaining fat percentage along the way. Um, so it's, it's quite challenging. I also find for myself, if I'm lifting weights in the gym, I, I gain strength really quickly. Like I put on muscle very quickly, but it makes me insatiably hungry. Yeah. Like absolutely cannot stop eating. Um, <clears throat> The only way is, I guess, the low carb way where you're eating foods that are so naturally filling like fillets and such that you just can't 
can't consume more than three or 4,000 calories in a day? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely found as I ate less, over time, I got less hungry. And actually, uh, I've just increased my calories by like a, like a, like a good few hundred recently. And actually, at the, at the start, I found it very hard to actually get in those calories and eat the feed the food, which was, uh, in a previous life, was uh, very, very easy to do. And then some. Uh, but then now that I'm eating more, I actually find myself like much hungrier. Uh, so I think your, your body kind of just like gets used to kind of the new norm. So I think if you kind of stick to it for like a, a few weeks, it can really normalize. Uh, how much cardio are you doing? Um, so at the start, I was, uh, I mean, I, I made a lot of mistakes in this journey. And uh, if I go back now, I do it very differently. But it's kind of what I learned. So I started doing a lot of kind of cardio focus. And now um, I walk a lot, which I think is great. Um, it's, it's, it's low impact and it's lo- low stress to the body as well, which is great. Um, but in terms of like high, like high heart rate cardio, I'm probably doing maybe an hour to an hour and a half a week. Whereas previously, I'd be doing like an hour plus every single day. Low stress for the body, meaning low impact, or you're not kicking up stress chemicals in your body? Uh, more so in terms of, uh, of recovery. So right now, I'm really trying to build the muscle. So uh, your body can only do so much without kind of not being as, as efficient. So right now, I'm trying to train hard, but then make sure I rest, make sure I get my sleep, which is not so uh, so, uh, so easy with two young kids. But uh, yeah, like... Um, for me, I found if I overtrain, I actually get way worse results than putting in less time at the gym. Oh. Yeah. You know uh, James Opst? Yeah. Big fan. So he recommends this book, Beyond Training. Uh, I think Ben Greenfield or something like this. But that book uh, has a very unique perspective. And he talks a lot about the negative aspects of overtraining, particularly for your, your nervous system, just causing stress on your, on your mind. Uh, and what that does, like kicking up the stress chemicals and, and, uh, it's a pretty interesting perspective. He, he would be in favor of walking just because he thinks you need a lot of activity, but the, the sort of ferocious activity that we associate with working out basically like a high intensity CrossFit or something like that is maybe something that you should do less often. Yeah. So that's something as well. I've kind of at the start, I was doing a lot more of that and then I've really started to lower the intensity and uh, focus on things like form and good slow reps now to really uh, maximize the kind of progress right now. So how many uh, pull-ups could you do right now? So I've actually kind of taken a, a big step back in terms of uh, I was I was up to around three or four, and now I'm focusing on doing the doing less with exceptional form because I found uh, basically like I'm never going to hit twenty in a row if I'm if my form isn't pretty close to perfect. So I'm kind of taking that one and two, doing it a lot slower and more and more focused, and making sure like the core is tight and I'm making a lot less movement. So I'm probably around two to three if I kind of chew it now. So I'm definitely behind schedule and i'm kind of working right now on a new program to try and get myself there but uh, i don't know like uh, i've really enjoyed this journey but right now actually i'm a bit sick of pull-ups in terms of uh, pull-ups are shockingly difficult they really they are. are very hard yeah um but as well like i i'm a guy who kind of likes likes variety like i used to do boxing once a week and now i've kind of had to just like stop that for for a while now because i just want to be focusing more on pull-ups and have more rest and more training you were doing boxing with the trainer? Yeah, so I was doing boxing, but uh, 
Did he ever punch you in the face? No, it, it was mostly pad work and a little bit of like uh, non non face sparring. I had a I had a certain uh, wrist tolerance, which 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 didn't include being 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 punched in the head. Uh, yeah, I'm the same. Except I was doing it for like two years, and I really enjoyed it. We would do like 45 minutes of working out and then 45 minutes of boxing with the with the pads. Yeah, I mean. It's a great workout. It's really fun. I find like the time just, just flies when you're doing it. You know, it doesn't really feel like hard exercise. But right now, it's not really. Uh, unfortunately, there's enough money in the line where I have to kind of focus on things that are good for me rather than things that I love. But I always found that the the guy who was a really nice, he was a really good guy, but he was a boxer at the end of the day. He he always really wanted to punch me in the head because they want to, <laughs> they want to teach you. And they've learned a certain way. Yeah, that, know, there, there is a certain. They know that to really uh, teach you, they have to punch you. Some some humbling happens to for sure, but uh, luckily it's it's been mostly the body and not the head so far. So uh. yeah, Patrick always wanted to do a boxing boxing prop bet. I, I need some new prop bets for fitness because I, I have a tennis one that has me motivated. I had a running and tennis one with Olivier, but he got hurt and. I let him out of it in favor of like a charitable donation. Um, but that was going to be a fun one because we we were going to ra- do a running race and it would have been fun. But yeah, I, I found uh, making the best was the single best thing I did in terms of uh, it gave me that real push to kind of get the ball rolling and keep it rolling. And I, I made these best for the pull-ups, but I also made the best for the body fat. And I also had a bet with just like, a good friend of mine for very very small money where we set certain kind of goals whereas we had to have a food every day tracked otherwise we lost uh, 20 euros you know uh yeah. have our, like not eat a certain amount of sweets uh, a week or whatever uh and also hit a certain amount of calories every, every day worked out and even though like the money was essentially meaningless uh i didn't want to have to text him and be like hey i missed training or i didn't track my calories today and just having that as a extra motivation really helped me stay on track so where do you see poker five years from now at the highest levels? Uh, you think it looks a lot like it does today? I think it looks fairly similar. Um, I think online is going to keep being hurt. I think uh, cash games are going to get tougher and tougher, and the pros that could beat certain stakes are going to have to move down. It's, it's going to get very tough, even at like basically anywhere where you can make it. A somewhat decent hourly is going to be uh, hurt. And I think uh, any kind of game where there's a consistent stack size and a, like the same situation in every single hand is going to get a lot more solved. And things like bots are going to have real issues if if they aren't already, which they are, they, they they for sure are. Um, I think tournaments are still fairly healthy just because there's a good ratio of recreational players to uh, pros even now. And I don't think that's too much danger. Um, I think I think live poker is going to be incredibly healthy. It might even be healthier then than it is now. I saw one thing remarkable at Win a couple of weeks ago. I was playing in a in a game, and next to our table they had a five ten no limit game, and the guy was studying solvers on his computer the whole time that he was playing. He had the laptop open. And I do think he was just studying and playing at the same time, just sort of dual tracking. I don't necessarily think he had up like exact stack sizes or anything like that, but I'm not sure. He was quite diligent. It was 
maybe eight hours he had the laptop open and he was studying. Yeah, I mean, um, we, we, we can hope he was just making the most of his time by uh, putting in some work. But yeah, I, I would be quite opposed to that if I was playing on the same table. I think uh, the the risk is real right now where like you have to be so, so careful with any kind of software, both online and live in terms of any kind of like, like, like real-time help. Yeah. Yeah. Or even... Like, I've always been somewhat surprised that people haven't had better annotations of sort of summary statistics at the table. Yeah. So Nate Silver is such a, such a great mind. He, he loves poker. And one year he was playing in a few events of the World Series of Poker and he wanted to do the best possible job that he could. And he developed for uh, iPhone notes, a special annotation that allowed him to very quickly summarize the actions of each hand. Nice. Um, and so you could just sort of look down on it and see uh, basically folds voluntarily enter the pod, three bed, et cetera, et cetera. And it was, it was a remarkable annotation system that you could see in a glance, 20, 30, 50 hands of action. And, and quickly see, all right, this player is very aggressive. This player is very weak, passive, et cetera. I've always been surprised that uh, pretty much every form of player just relies on their short-term memory for that. But Yeah, I, I do think it's something you have to be a little bit careful of when playing live focus, just because the sample of hands you get are very almost meaningless for like a lot of things like... Uh, Raising on the river, like how many times are you going to see that in a session? Um, or even just like aggression can come can, can, can very wildly on the cards. So for me, I would actually find, or I, I would think that a lot of players, if given these tools, would actually misapply them where they can look at these 30, 40 hand samples and just be like, well, this, this guy's crazy and, uh, and uh, call off the stacks. Sure. Sure. Um, but I do think in ultra reg fields, it can be surprisingly important just because there are people that play so differently. And it might even be hard for someone like you, a GTO school, to imagine how differently some, someone might play in terms of just how tight, how weak tight someone might play. If you, and if you have the summary stats, you can quickly... See ya. Yeah, uh, I guess I've always just kind of relied more on my watching of them and seeing the hands they play and trying to make mental notes. Uh, I mean, there, there definitely are people that I have like they've they've done they've had a hand that they played so surprisingly to me than like what I thought they played. I would, I would actually make a, a note on my phone, but that would be very rare, I'd say. Yeah, and in terms of live streams, you have. Obviously, the phenomena of people uh, paying friends or coaches or random people on the internet to watch live streams and make notes of their opponents' hands and then send them by text or compile them on a document or whatever. Do you, do you know of any efforts to compile a lot of those hands? Oh, that'd be cool. Uh, I assume it wouldn't be too hard to do. It would just take some kind of brute force manpower. I mean, there's if you look at something like like Go, there's hundreds and hundreds of fun tables on there right now, so you could probably get a pretty good sample 
on the, like a lot of like the top players, especially some of the guys in the super high roller scene. I mean, obviously, then you have, yeah, I'm uh, assuming that that's been done, kind of. Yeah, I mean, the problem with that is you have a lot of like ICM nuances where people are going to be playing a lot tighter or a lot looser based on like where the chips lie and and the payouts and all of that. So it, it it wouldn't be insanely accurate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for sure. Um, that's actually one of my small gripes with uh, live poker is the whole live streamed file table in terms of, I think it's very unfair on, I mean, pretty much everyone where, and it creates this environment where people have to leave the table to look at the phone, look at the hands, come back. And uh, I really don't like it. So I, my idea for it is just to have the live stream on the table, on a delay and half hour delay and have everyone kind of easy to see and you get that kind of reaction to uh seeing this like someone bluffed you half an hour ago in kind of the big format yeah i like that idea a lot as well you get some of that in the poker go studio because you do have it running just outside the room and so a lot of times someone's friend or their family member is is watching from the bar where it's playing with sound Nice. So you have a little bit of that. Also, you're going on break every 90 minutes. And if you want, you can watch for 10 minutes. For sure. Um, people people well, do that. It, it, um, it, sorry. Go ahead. But I agree with you. That would be a, a nice solution. Um, I personally have found that I play better in a focused mental state that comes with not trying to yeah. learn the hands. So if, if you were at a, 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 a table, would you actually choose to uh, to avoid that information? Uh, I do personally. I I do. Just because I found that I play better in a focused mental state. And I don't I don't really see the value in a tough table. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um in some ways, but then it's also, I would just be so, so paranoid about like not knowing something that could really be important in the later hand. And, and I'm uh, as, as a, as a poker player, I'm always striving for the maximum information to make my, my choices. And I find it very hard to kind of give that up, even though I, I actually do agree with you. I think I would also be, be playing better. Um, if I wasn't so, so focused on, oh, this hand was half an hour ago. What did he do here? Yeah. Yeah. I could see. I could see the argument both ways. For me, the the mental state that comes from being away from the phone and trying to focus on what's going on is just worth more than the information because it's a it's a different, more scattered mental state to be back and forth on the phone. And for me personally, I find it detrimental. Um, and I, a lot of those spots, I'm not sure what I learn. Yeah, I do think as well. It's very easy to over adjust based on something you see uh, half an hour ago. And obviously, there are players who can even use that to their advantage if they if they really think you're going to be over adjusting. Although there are some things you're you're probably looking for things that you think are objectively wrong, where someone say folding in the big blind where they should definitely be calling or something like that. And yeah, and I, would, I, would, I would I would try and find things that I think are not correct and then try and extrapolate that to other areas of the game as well. Um, like for example, if, if someone's going to be 
going to be overfolding like like a big hand on the flop, um, then he probably not going to be defending correctly on turns and rivers as well. You know, yeah. Uh, just just one for that, and I'm, I'm definitely paying more attention to the non-pros than the pros in, in, in my sense because I find there'll be the guys which will have the bigger imbalances, and you can really use that more more to advantage. Yeah, definitely. I find it funny in the in the German. Uh, non-German divide that for me I think of a lot of poker decisions as contextual and technical but subject to variation based on the situation right and it was funny one time I was at dinner with Johannes Becker who's super nice guy he's an awesome guy and he has a very technical approach to the game, even by German standards. And he was like, he was like, yeah, I really disagreed with that fold you made a couple of years ago on the stream. <laughs> or I really disagreed with that spot in it. And and I was like, I was like, well, that's a harsh reading of, <laughs> of one situation. <laughs> it's it's very funny uh, how like one small technical mistake, say folding a big blind where it would have been a call could be remembered for a long <laughs> period of time. He's got that now on you. That's right. Um, so you think five years from now, poker will be uh, a handful or maybe half the field being very technically savvy and having the skate, the same skill base as today, plus a bit, and then recreational players that are not much improved from today. Very hard to say because I've always been amazed at how lazy poker players are. Um, <laughs> so I think there will be a small section of the super elite, which there are today, but probably more of those, um, and then still a lot of. I wouldn't even say mediocre, but as in just average regs who put in some work but not enough, and then there's also just be the the recreationals. I think that ratio is going to stay quite healthy for the near future. I uh, think it's looking pretty good with the economy, so hopefully things stay good. And I think poker is here to stay for sure. Yeah. Well, Poker Go uh, and Carrie's setup has definitely made it more attractive for. The serious professional player because you have the the no rake set up you have money added to some prize pools you have series of events where you have a lot of big events in a short period of time rebuys etc um so that setup is very good before carry came about it seemed that the nature of the high stakes world where you had buy-ins that were too high and spread all over the world it led to a lot of churn. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's one of those things that if if you build it, they will come. In terms of uh, if you create a good tournament with a good field and a good a good healthy mixture of uh, pros and non pros, then these, these things are going to be healthy. But unfortunately, as soon as those uh, non pros stop playing, then those things can quite easily vanish. You kind of saw some of the fields this year. I think have been a lot smaller than have. Uh, previous years for some of the super high rollers. 
Did you get involved in that uh, GG Poker uh, online tournament series? I managed to avoid the madness uh, right around the time of my uh, second kid and uh, the variance to just absolutely terrified me that you had guys like who were like swinging two million dollars in like a week uh, what's your next tournament series uh, i'll actually be in vegas for the uspo um i'm going there towards the end of the series but uh myself and my wife and my kids are going for a month holiday and that just happened to coincide with that so uh playing okay some. sweet i'm planning to go yeah, nice. excellent excellent all right well we said 40 minute hard cap i'll let you go i really appreciate this time uh i'll see you i'll see you in vegas we'll do some heads up plo training sounds good right now cheers all right see you